Thanks for joining us today on the Port City Church Podcast. With multiple campuses existing within Southeastern North Carolina, our mission is to be helpful and hopeful as we reach people and help them walk with God. To learn more about the heart behind our church, we encourage you to visit us at portcity.church. Good morning. What a great day. We've had baptisms in all of our campuses, and uh, man, that was, I was like, um, we're talking about service today, and for those of you who weren't in the room, uh, we should have just let Sydney do the whole talk. It saved us a lot of time, and me a lot of time, uh, this week. I think it's so important um, how we make these connections to the things that we offer of ourselves um, to the world around us. And so this series uh, is called Radical, and what we're trying to explore, what we're exploring, not trying to explore, we're actually exploring it, is... You know, a lot of us have grown up with this idea that the gospel and the work of Jesus is about making us sort of moral, like good character, behave correctly, believe the right things, vote the right way, or mad about the right issues, or whatever it might be. And um, those things are not unimportant, but there is an activity. There's something that, that happens in the way of Jesus when we learn what it is like to walk with Jesus, we understand what his rule and his reign and his kingdom are about that actually reshapes the actual activity of our lives. How you go to work, how you raise your kids, how you uh, interact with your kids, how you think about education, how you think about money, how you think of the activity of our lives is affected by this, our posture towards the world around us. And so, um, I remember years ago thinking about this and, and the, the idea today, and I can only get like so far, I'm gonna, uh, this is gonna be a little bit of a longer run, but I'm gonna try to get us there today. We're gonna be in Philippians chapter two, uh, if you have your Bibles. But um, <clears throat> a few years ago, I wrote this statement down. And, uh, and I wrote it down as I was thinking about my kids. My kids were growing up and you want your kids to find their purpose and you're worried about all the things um, that are happening and you're, you, know, you want them to get the right job, the right major, the right career, all those things. I remember watching this unfold and somewhere around, they were probably in college and one was in uh, maybe starting high school. And so I wrote, you know, watched them kind of uh, develop in some really profound ways as I watched my kids. Now, obviously I'm biased, they're my kids. So I think they're great. Um, and they really are great, but you get the idea. And I wrote down this, this, because there were some things that came particularly as I watched this that just came very easily. It wasn't the sense of forcing or grabbing or trying, trying to like, what was this? And um, the statement that I wrote down in my journal was, you don't find your purpose by trying to find your purpose. I, I think a lot of people, a lot, especially younger, younger folks, you're, you try to figure out what you're supposed to do. And if you figure it out when you're like 19, then you just execute that for the rest of your life. And it doesn't work like that. You, you find your purpose not by obsessing about finding your purpose. You find your purpose by giving yourself away. And I, I, I wanna be really mindful because there's a lot of things we have to unpack in that statement. But I think about my own kids' lives and experience here at the church. I'm grateful for Grow Zone, Treasure Island, Tsunami, Ripple Effect, Production, all these places where my kids obviously went through as students, but they actually served in those places. They got involved and they were surrounded by other adults who 
were also serving and sort of modeling and investing. And they learned very quickly that, oh, when you just show up and you do things and you offer yourself, things happen. You find things and discover things. Both of my kids, their first jobs, uh, they had bosses that just had a mindset of servant. My oldest daughter worked for a surf camp. and It was a very cool job uh, from when she was 14. But uh, part of the camp, they would do um, these charity camps uh, in the evenings that were for hearing impaired and visually impaired. It was just a lot of, and you'd volunteer and they were, and she, this is what she began to do. And just, it was just sort of a posture of giving herself. And then over time, obviously it's not perfect. And you kind of wrestle and you wonder, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing? All those things still happen. But what you find is that there's, there's a limitless opportunities for us to offer ourselves to the world around us. I had this whole thing kind of scoped out of my head until I was sitting in a meeting a Wednesday morning and Rick Schaefer read a quote from a book he's reading. And Rick Schaefer is one of our pastors. He's one of the smartest people I know. Uh, I love Rick. He's been hugely influential in my life. And he always reads and finds these super random books that no one's ever heard about. And, he's, and, I, and I'm reading it now. It's a small book, but the book is called A Manual of Knowing by Esther Lightcap Meek. How's that for an author? So he's reading this book. He says, I just wanna read you this quote. He says, because there's a definition of love that she gives. I'm thinking, I have a definition of love. Is it better than mine? And uh, so he reads this definition. The definition says, says, love, love is the gift of oneself. Love is the gift of oneself. And I wrote it down in my journal and I couldn't stop thinking about it. So I wanna put it out there for you and I hope that it will bother you and haunt you for the rest of the week as well. It's the gift of oneself. And so the question, and this is really speaks to the goal of this series, is how is it then that we're going to have the capacity or where does the source to give ourselves come from? Where does it come from? Where are you gonna get this? And the idea is that we mentioned last week that our goal is that you would be full enough to give yourself freely. Uh, or stated it another way, that you would be free enough to give yourself fully. Either way, both of these things are critical. And so I wanna put this up there because a lot of us, we live in a culture where, we live in a culture where it's take, 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 and there is no end to what you can give yourself to, and there's no end to people who will take from you. So I recognize that there's a lot of tension, there's a lot of boundaries. We're gonna talk a little bit about that today. But, so you, but, but for us to learn how to live in this way, for it to become a part of who we are and how we are, for us to understand the why we're here to love and love is this offering of ourselves, giving of ourselves, the gift of ourselves. We have to believe some things, we have to have some things, we have to live in a particular way to be available for that on a regular, ongoing basis. It has to happen. So service is both, it's both a needed discipline and it is an authentic expression. In other words, we want to be the kind of people who serving is a part of our nature. We wanna be servants. But you're not gonna wake up every day and, and think, oh, I just wanna give myself away today, right? So serving is also a needed discipline. You have to do things that deliberately put yourself in the posture of serving, whether it's in your home or in your organization or some other way. So when, when you're thinking about this, especially if you have a job where a lot of your 
uh, role is telling people what to do or you're always in charge, you're always leading stuff. You have to have ways to get out of those places and into places where you can participate and offer and just serve. You have to have them because otherwise you'll, you, it'll, it'll just, it messes up our perspective. So there's two things um, that I wanna mention and then kind of step into this message. Uh, number one is the radical reorientation. When I think about radical, I'm talking about the activity of the gospel, the radical reorientation is about our identity. This isn't about instructions that we are um, supposed to uh, follow. It's about understanding that we are servants, that somehow we've gotta become this kind of person, this kind of people. And number two, it's about allegiance. It's a way of life under a rule, under an authority, something that God has called us to live under that helps us or causes us to live in this particular way. So there's a way of living um, in Christ under his rule that is defined by the activity of, of our lives. And so this, these are my two radical uh, assumptions and foundations that we built on last week. And both of them have to do with source. So the first one is this. And I said this last week, I'll put them on the screen again so you can see them, but God's love is the only source sufficient for human relationships. So this brings into our view, what is it that's going to be the source of our sufficiency? And I'm, I'm suggesting to you that God's love is the only source uh, that is sufficient uh, for human relationships, for us to experience the kind of relationships that we long for. Now I recognize there are lots of other things that you can use uh, that you will find. So you can, there are lots of other reasons for people to relate to one another, but the only one that can help us experience the depth of relationships that we long for with each other is, is the love that God has for us exchanged and given to one another. So that's the first one. Then the second one sort of spins off of that or kind of layers underneath it. That God's love is the only sufficient, uh, not only is it the only sufficient uh, for human relationships, but it's the only sufficient foundation for the fullness of human expression. That somehow this love that God has for us has to be the source for us to live fully and freely enough to offer ourselves. And what we see over and over again modeled throughout the scriptures is that the fullness of human expression is to give, is to give. We have to be able to get this somehow into our understanding. This is, this is began, right? And the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, right? The expression of God's love for the world, he did what? He gave. And he gave his only begotten son, but you realize in doing that, he actually gave himself. Like this is, this is what the, the whole narrative of the gospel is. God loved and his love expresses himself. This fullness of humanity and human expression is to give of ourselves. And so my hope and my prayer in this is that we will sort of radically reorient uh, orient our, ourselves to this way of life under the rule of his love. And you see this throughout the Bible. I'll, I'll mention one more real quick. Galatians chapter five, uh, verses 13 and 14, it says this. Paul is talking about how we might use our, our freedom. So this is what he says. Do not use your freedom to indulge your flesh. Don't use your freedom to just get what you want or take what you want or do whatever you happen. You know, don't use it for that. Rather, what does he say? Serve. And he says, serve one another in a particular way. Serve one another humbly and then in love. And I've, I've done this before, but I just wanna be really clear. 
In love is, you know, we talk about being in love is like we feel towards someone or speak the truth in love. means like, well, I like this person. I'm just going to tell them what I think. In love is actually a relational dynamic. It's a, it's a boundary or a border. It's a place where we resides, reside in, within a covenant that is safe, where we, we aren't going to be rejected or shamed, where we can be ourselves and become ourselves all at the same time. It's a way for us to live with one another in this context of love. And we serve one another humbly in this place. It's a relational understand it's how we cooperate and live together. And then as God's people, we serve one another in love and then we serve the world or we offer ourselves to the world from that place. So we've got to get these things first because some of you, right, a lot of us, we think about boundaries and, and if you're in a relationship where you're like, you're, you know, it's, it's constantly, you know, codependent or unhealthy or these things, you know, you need boundaries to keep from giving yourself, you know, at the expense of yourself. This isn't like, well, I gotta get full enough and I gotta get full. So this is about living, finding a way to live in a healthy way, but also a way that honors God. We live in a culture, right? We live in a culture where, you know, we have basically moved into an area where we have to protect ourselves. We have to. We live in a culture that is marked by abuse. I mean, if you had to look at, if you just look at what's happening, Abuse would be one of the main markers, whether it's physical abuse or emotional abuse or verbal abuse or sexual abuse. The statistics are overwhelming. Child abuse, it's overwhelming. We live in a culture where abuse has become the norm. We abuse one another. And so we've learned that we have to protect ourselves. That's the reality. But what is happening? What's the cost of that? What is happiness as we learn and we grow up in a culture, the water that we swim in is fundamentally distrustful and self-protected, right? This comes at a price. And I think there's something that God is doing and inviting us into is a different way of life. So I recognize we have to be really, really mindful and really, really careful. We also have to set it up against what God has actually called us and created us because it could be that in that posture, we actually diminish the possibility of the fullness of life that God intends for us and the fullness of life that we long for. So we have, to, we have to find ways to sort of learn and reorient ourselves to this way of life. So when I think about serving, I'll put this definition up there. Uh, and this is what I used last week, just so you'll have it. Serving is both offering ourselves to another for their good, and it's also offering uh, ourselves for the good of the world around us. It's both of those things. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. When I think about this idea uh, of, of how to define one thing, I often think of it in terms of its opposites. So for example, I thought, okay, if, if, if over here, love is marked by being a servant, right? By this sense of offering ourselves, love is the gift of oneself. What would its opposite be? What would its opposite be? Over here, if, you're, if, you're not, if, if you don't serve someone, the opposite would be that you withhold them from someone. It means you have the opportunity to do something, but you're gonna choose not to do it. And there might be valid reasons. This person might take advantage of it. They may not appreciate it. There's a lot of reasons why, but the opposite of just serving is to not do something, to withhold. So I begin to think, what kind of person would withhold? So I actually Googled, what kind of person withholds? And the word that came up was this word. It called them a preserver. I thought, this is kind of interesting. 
that somehow the opposite of these two things is to, you notice this? To pre-serve. You know what it literally means? Like the definition, the origin of this word, it literally means to keep first. It means our whole default posture is what am I going to protect? What am I going to hold? What am I going to, what am I going to withhold? And then I'll decide how I'm going to enter in to give. Now, please hear me. I'm not suggesting there aren't reasons to be careful. What I'm saying is the first thoughts, the first thoughts sort of begin to govern all the rest of our activity, the way we see the world. And when you begin to see what you're gonna protect first, more than likely, the sort of trajectory of that thinking is to become more cynical, to become more hesitant, to become more reserved, to become more isolated, right? All these things begin to happen. And so one more quick aside, that wherever you derive your sufficiency, right, is gonna determine your way of life. It's gonna determine your center. And if, if somehow this way of life under the rule of God's love, if, if this isn't going, if there's not gonna be some governing thing that holds us together, I begin to think of this, not in terms of what's the opposite of love. I've done that before. Talk about fear, talk about indifference. But what is the absence of love? What would it be like to live in a place where love doesn't govern? And most of us think it's, oh, it's terrible, it's hard, it's horrible. I'm gonna borrow a word from a sociology. When you remove the governance of love, you're gonna to gravitate toward radical individualism. Something is gonna govern your life in order to protect yourself and more than likely it's going to be yourself and you're going to actually begin to live in one of the most common values of our culture, which is the idea of self-sufficiency. Wherever you derive your sufficiency from will inevitably become your center. So if you are self-sufficient, what are you likely to become? Self-centered. We're not making judgments, we're just observing. This is what happens when love doesn't govern because there's no other option. You don't have to hate, you don't have to be indifferent. Your first posture just has to be to protect yourself, to protect yourself. So what do we do with this? Let's read from Philippians chapter two. Philippians chapter two, this is Paul writing to a group of churches or to a church that he loves and he wants them very much to understand the way of Jesus. He gives us some instructions here and he gives us an observation about the very character of Christ. I just wanna let this sort of rest on us. We're gonna have to, you have to think about this and read over this over the next few, uh, few days and just see what God says to you. Um, in a room this size, I can't tell you what you should do or should not do. You're gonna have to have some people around you and really do some work internally so that you don't either get yourself into terribly isolated and insulated where it's just you and your tribe or you don't just absolutely live in this sort of codependent, unhealthy, messianic sort of posture where you're trying to save the world. Like neither of those is gonna be healthy nor consistent with what God uh, is revealing to us. Philippians chapter two. Therefore, if there's any encouragement of being united with Christ, if there's anything that's good that comes from like us connecting and living out this way of life, 
if there's any comfort from his love, if there's any common sharing in his spirit, if there's any tenderness, any compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having, uh, having the same love, and being in one spirit and of one mind. This is the instructions to us. To us, we, we are going to have to learn how to live with one mind and one heart and one spirit. We're gonna have to do that. I can assure you it is not gonna be because we agree on all the things that the world values as being so. We're gonna have to do something fundamentally different to reorient ourselves to those things. He goes on and he says this, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking after your own interest, but to the interest, uh, but each of you to the interest of others. This is a tough thing. Listen, I, I am driven. I am ambitious. I have all these things in me. This is a gut check for me to stop and decide how am I going to be governed? Do not be driven by selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't just try to build a name for yourself or build your own kingdom. But instead, we've got to learn how to see and value other people differently. To value them with the same sort of mind that Christ has, that's worthy of our effort to bring worth and value and dignity to another human being. It's a posture by which we begin to adopt as we see, fundamentally see the world and see others differently than we're used to. We don't scale them. We begin to see them uh, from a much different perspective. And then he adds this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, whoever this, here we go, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now think about this. We often think of Jesus was God in the flesh. God was well pleased to cause all of his fullness to dwell in Jesus Christ. This word became flesh, Jesus the Christ. And to think, he, Jesus looks at this and says, although he was God, he did not consider that a thing to take advantage of. If there is ever anything to take advantage of, that's it, right? I mean, if you're God, like, take advantage of it. This is like a, you can do some really great things. Who exists in the, do not consider it. Like, this runs counter to everything our culture says. You never give up an advantage over another person in this world, never. You hold it and you calculate to make sure that it's going to do everything you want it to do for you. And what is Jesus saying? It is not so among you. We are to have a fundamentally different approach to this. Who, although he exists in the very form of God, he did not consider equality with God something that he needed to use for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. The, the better translation is he emptied himself. He gave. Rather, he gave. This isn't, oh, he felt bad. Or this is a concession. This is precisely because he was reflecting the image of God. He gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. This is consistent with everything that we see. Rather, he emptied himself by taking on the nature of a servant, being made in the image, uh, in, being made in human likeness. And being made in human likeness means that he is going to experience it all the way through the end of what it means to be human, which means he's going to die. That's exactly what it says next. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, and this is a quote from Isaiah, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should acknowledge that there is no greater authority than Jesus the Christ. That's what I mean. Jesus is Lord is not a religious mantra. It's, it's, a, it's a declaration of kingship, of rule and reign. Everyone will say he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we've been invited to live in this now. This is the picture. And all of this is displayed by the activity of you and I learning how to live as a servant. We live in a world, right, that is marked by distrust. It's fundamentally marked by distrust. And when we do this, the way in which we relate to one another is going to disintegrate into this sort of self-protective. It's gonna be governed by withholding and preservation to make sure that you keep first and then only give away what you can afford to give away. This will quickly sort of move into where we have basically an attention-based economy where it's just about how much attention can you get and then you manipulate everything in order to protect and to reserve and to preserve your way of life. We have to learn how to live in a fundamentally different way. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Um, there are thousands of ways for us to serve. Some of you are already doing it. Some of you are already at the end of your rope doing it. I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment as we close out. But here's what I want for you to ask. If love is giving of oneself and you are only serving because no one else will do it, or you think you're the hero or whatever the thing is, you're going to ruin the very work that God longs to do. We wanna serve out of the fullness and the freedom of the life that is given to us in the gospel so that our lives reflect accurately the activity that the gospel actually fuels or sources. So I wanna ask you a couple of questions. What is it that keeps you from giving? What is it that keeps you from giving? There are valid reasons for why you don't give. Um, you've been burned. Anybody ever done something and been burned? Anybody ever been taken advantage of? Right? You serve and you get taken advantage of. Things happen to us. Things happen around us. We get taken, all these things happen to us. What we have to become convinced of is that serving and a, a life of servanthood is not purely pragmatic. It's not about what's the return on this investment. It actually becomes an expression of the very identity of the kind of people that we have become that we offer ourselves in this way. What if it were really true that you will only find your purpose when you learn to give your life away? I get it's scary. I get it has great risk. I get there's a lot of reasons not to do it. But if you are holding and withholding, could it be that it is undermining your pursuit and actually working against the very thing that you're trying to ensure? by holding on. So here's what I want you to do, and I'm gonna make a suggestion to you in the last few minutes we have remaining. I want you to consider, and what I would do is I would sit down with my journal and my pen, and y'all knew I was gonna say that. You can think about it in your car, but you won't remember it later. you would be like, God, what was I thinking? It was so profound. You know how brilliantly profound I am in my car? Oh, it was so good. What did you say? I have no idea, but it was, it was so good, I can promise you. 
Write it down. What is it that keeps you from offering yourself? For some of you, it's just you don't believe you have anything to offer. Do you realize what I've learned after this for a long time? That never goes away. You get to a place, you feel like, oh, I still don't have, I still don't have I'm, still, I'm still insecure, I'm still this, I'm still that. What do you, what, what, why is it? What keeps you from offering yourself? Some of you, it's time, I get it. Some of you, it's, you know, some of you, this is what you're doing. You're like, a, you're like, you're a mom and you got like two little ones at home. And you're like, I don't do anything because all you, you know, you, that is giving of yourself, right? It's one of the most heroic ways. You're, you're giving of yourself and the only return maybe is they don't live with you when they're 35, right? That may be it, but at least, right, you, but, but you don't think you can squeeze anything and you don't need to. You need to ask yourself this question, you know, where, because you've got to be realistic. There are places where you probably are giving yourself and you don't give yourself any credit for that because it's not doing some of these big things. But you just got to do some, some gut check. Number two is what step can you take towards offering yourself? Everybody should do something. Everybody. Well, I'm not full enough or I don't have, everybody should do something. The only way I have found to break the pull of me is to serve. It's to put myself in positions where I have to serve other people at a cost to me. It's the only way I found to do this. This isn't a vision to save the world. You don't have to save the world, right? But rather we're learning to contribute to goodness and beauty in the way in which we live our lives by serving. And we're learning how to offer ourselves. We have to learn how to do this because this is not likely to happen in our normal way of life. If you preserve and you withhold and you shrink back into distrust, you're gonna continue to undermine any hope that you have to live fully and freely. So I'm asking you to do something. Yes, you need boundaries. Yes, you need boundaries because people will run roughshod over you. And yes, you also need community. You need people in your life who can tell you your boundaries are too loose and you need to stop letting people do that to you. And you need to trust them and you need to do that. Others of you, you need someone who can look at you and say your boundaries are too tall and you are becoming self-absorbed and protective and you need to give yourself and you need people who can do both of those things in your life. We are learning how to do this. I'm not for a second advocating that we just sort of throw caution to the wind and not strategic. We're gonna be very strategic in what's happening. But what we need to be is a community of servants who are willing to give ourselves for the sake of what God wants to do through us and what he longs to do in the world. And he's waiting on people who are willing to give themselves to it. That's what we need. So here's what I would suggest. Um, I mentioned earlier, my kids were immeasurably transformed. We heard it in our baptism story by basically serving. And if you've been burned or you're burned out or you are like, I don't trust anybody or I'm not full enough or I don't have this, I would invite you, I would encourage you to serve with us. To sign up and serve in Grow Zone or Treasure Island or, do you know why? Because we desperately need volunteers. No, I'm just kidding. No, because, 
We do, right? We could use some. Because you're going to be cared for. You're, you're going to be protected. You're gonna meet people and connect with people and you're gonna learn how to do something in the context of a relationship that perhaps you haven't experienced in any other part of your world or your life. And it's gonna to begin to do something in you as you learn that somehow you can actually give yourself as you are learning to live in the fullness of life that God has made available to you as we learn how to trust those things. It might be a great first step for you. Right, others of you, you need to see how you're going to give yourself away in your home. So instead of coming home going, I've worked hard, need to just sit back and watch Sports Center. Maybe you just think your, your life of service has just begun. Or whatever it might be for your life. We've got to start, but, but it starts with you sort of getting alone by yourself and saying, what is it that keeps you from offering yourself? And be honest about it. And I would talk to someone that you trust, talk to a trusted other about it as well. Because some of us can be, get very self-centered and, and not even be aware of it. And you need other people who can help you see this place. Some of you become sort of codependent and you live in these unhealthy places and you aren't even aware you need people to help you see this. And then what would a step, what would it be for you to take a single step, simple step, to begin to offer yourself. We have no idea what it might look like should this be the culture of us for a world, right, that desperately, desperately needs to see something different. Father, would you help us I know there are people who are listening and they feel like they don't have any more to give. Would you give them some permission to rest and to receive, to trust others? For those who don't feel like they're worthy enough to do anything, God, would you give them the courage to avail themselves, to offer themselves to something very simple and accessible. The Father, these two trajectories would help us to become the kind of people for whom this way of life is normal and for whom this way of life um, is sustainable. And the Father, we truly learn to live out of the fullness and the freedom of what we experience in you. If anyone is united in Christ, let this be their way. So God, let us do that first. And out of that place, we become the kind of people you intend for us to be. I lift all of the same of your son, Jesus, who is our king. Amen.